everybody. Welcome back to the Your Project Shepherd Construction Podcast. Uh, as we say every time, we teach that every successful project has four key components demonstrated by the simple drawing of a house. The bottom line, the foundation is proper planning. The left wall is your team. The right wall is communication. And the roof that protect, protects it all is proper execution. Have all four of these components in place and your project is going to succeed. Um, so here on the podcast, you know, we, we teach uh, about the right way to undertake projects, which has been the big focus of our podcast for the, for the past three seasons. But uh, this, this season, we're mixing in some design topics and talking about design trends. In our last episode, we had a, a panel of interior designers. And so today, I'm super excited uh, to kind of stick with that, that theme. And today, I've got a team of uh, building designers and architects with me today. Uh, so I would like to welcome uh, David Cox with Thank Design you. DCA, who's Thank sitting you. here to my left. Bryce Connor with Being Genius Designs, who's Thank sitting you. across from me, and Bryn Miracle with Architangent. So thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for Appreciate having us. Appreciate the invite. So w- why don't each of you? Let's just go around. Uh, start with Brandon. Go around the table, and each of you kind of tell me uh, again the name of your company. Kind uh, of restate that, and tell me what you focus on, what, what kind of projects you do, and a little history about you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll kick it off then. So again, Bryn Miracle, Architangent is the company. Um, so I'm a little bit of a, a crossover, I guess, from your last episode, because I'm actually an interior designer and an architect. So I get a little bit of both worlds there. Uh, my company uh, started about five years ago, and we've been focused uh, primarily probably 80% or so on actually commercial projects. That's kind of where my bread and butter has been over my career. And uh, we're now taking on, you know, select high-end residences and just finished my personal home was on the AIA home tour uh, this nice. past fall. And so that's kind of the, the launching pad for the residential component uh, of the business. And so I'm really excited to see where that goes for us. And, and her, her house is fantastic. I, I, I walked <laughs> through it before it was done, but man, it's, it's really something. And I think there's some pictures of that on your, on your website, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, you can go to the website, architangent.com and, and check that out there. Yeah, it's awesome. Bryce? So Bryce Connor, uh, principal architect at B and Jenkins Designs. We started about 2019, um, and then COVID happened in 2020. So, but actually, you know, it was crazy. Houston, City Houston was still kind of booming as far as construction during COVID. So mm-hmm. you know, we was able to kind of make our way through that process. And uh, but our background, we have about four employees right now. Uh, we focus on high end residential. We do townhomes, and we also do some commercial work. A lot of build-outs, uh, restaurants, uh, high-end restaurants. Uh, we also do a lot of high-end residential that we do at West University, uh, Bel Air, uh, River Oaks. Um, and then we do a lot of single-family homes for new developers as well. Cool. David, you're the, aside from me, the other older guy at the right. table. So. <laughs> that definitely <laughs> is. Uh, David Cox, Design DCA. Um, we were founded in 2006, so doing this quite a while. Um, we focus strictly on residential mid to high end. Um, virtually all of it is inside the beltway. We get the occasional acreage property, occasional high hill country property, but a lot of infill, Westview, similar as you, Bel Air, um, some River Oaks, Tanglewood, et cetera. Um, we actually do a lot of builder spec home design uh, in various price ranges. So we're, we always kind of have that mindset of what's going to appeal to the, to the broadest audience, what's going to cast a wide net. Cool. Today's topic is kind of architectural design trends, and so we'll we'll talk a little bit about interior stuff. But um, you know, when, when people think about architecture, I think in, in their mind they're they're envisioning the outside of the house. Although it's really both, right? It's outside and inside. 
So I'd like to start talking about exteriors and exterior styles and things like that. So kind of like in our last episode with the interior folks that we had on, we, we, we touched on exteriors as well. One thing I said to them was that when I started building 20 years ago, at least this market, Houston, was a very traditional market. Um, even like new construction, um, you saw like a lot of you know, like Mediterranean stuff. You saw a lot of traditional brick homes. And it seemed, and, and back then it was almost like modern was almost like a dirty word. It's like, ooh, modern's cold and eh. But it seems like over the last 20 years that the design trends have really kind of shifted to be more modern. So even if it's not like, you know, quote unquote modern, like hard modern, you're still seeing a lot of those design elements being incorporated. David, let's just start with you. Do you, do you agree with that? And what, what, what's your take on that? 100% agree. Um, and actually, when I started in Houston in 2002, I was primarily in the townhome industry. And it was kind of, I think, a little more accepting of modern at that time than the single family uh, realm was. And it's just, it's grown and become more prevalent in the single family. Uh, even in the upscale market, we the vast majority of the homes we do kind of fall in that transitional modern category where it's a, a, bl- a blend, a mix of some, you know, traditional architectural forms, but then streamlined and open concept, et cetera, to, to modernize. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say that's, you know, really similar to um, some of the projects that we've started taking on is that, like you said, the form is very much um, a simplification of something that's traditional, right? So if you have a gable roof, it's not going to have a lot of ornamentation or a lot of, you know, pieces that are added on. It's just exactly. the form itself and then, you know, really clean joinery. and, and It's more things. pure, it seems like, you know. And it, yeah, exactly. As far as the modern design, uh, I think more so people are geared towards transitional. I think we have a lot of people who, you know, I guess don't want to have office building type designs more so. That's, I've heard that a couple of times. So, you know, the traditional tr- transitional side with the gables and the, you know, modern features of the home. I think more people like that versus just straight modern. But we've been blessed to get projects on, on both phases. Yeah. Why do y'all think that is? I mean, is, is that is that a function of, and I'm not sure if that's just exclusively a Houston phenomenon. I mean, I've seen it in Austin as well. Do you think it has to do with the international community coming to Houston? Because, you know, internationally, I think modern architecture has been more popular. And do you think that's a function of the, the, those people coming here to Houston and Austin and causing that transition? I would say so. I mean, we're the most ethnically diverse city in the U.S. And it's continuing that trend, obviously. Um, you know, I would say we're probably five years, maybe more behind Europe in terms of, you know, cutting edge design and solutions like that. And so as that starts to trickle in from across the pond, then people say, oh, well, I didn't know you could do that. And I think now, especially that, you know, people traveling more as just, you know, a leisure activity rather than, hey, it's, you know, that time of year, got to take my vacation. Let's go somewhere. It's like, that's just you go and you see more, um, you can start to see how other cultures and other places in the world are doing things. And it feels like you know, as a culture, as a society, we want to kind of embrace that a bit more. And I also think that, you know, when we talk about modern, you know, when modernism started, you know, um, as the, you know, post-industrial revolution and, you know, the whole idea of machine machinery and, and all of that kind of this industrialized, um, design where the house is a machine for living and that whole concept. It's like, well, yeah, that was, that was really stark and bare and not welcoming. And who would want to live in that? Nobody, of course. But, you know, as, as people start to realize it doesn't have to be that way, um, I think they're going to embrace it more. I think the challenge though, is that it's really difficult to do modern. Well, um, a lot of times it takes a lot more precision, a lot more care, uh, sometimes more money and, a lot of people don't realize it. And so they'll see a bad example of modern and then make their decision 
and their judgment based on, you know, a terrible example. And so exactly. I think it's, it's up to the folks, you know, like us in this room to say, you know, here's how you do it. Well, here's how you do it. Um, in a way that's sensitive to the context It's not just a, a big, you know, white box with nothing in it, you know? And, and I think the interiors are going to be a huge part of that. So I know your, your last show was all about the interior design. And so thinking of a home as a holistic space, right? It's not just the pretty box, the jewel box that, that we kind of focus on. It's also the tactile experience, right? Like what are we going to touch and feel and, and what are we going to experience? Like even sights and sounds and smells. And when we start to really think about that holistically, I think that's where people will start to embrace it. I think people are looking for like they really appreciate the simplicity of the modern design. Uh, obviously, we've had an influx of people from California. You know, the the Austin market is booming now. Uh, then we've also seen a lot of people from New York and Baltimore. You know, obviously for tax purposes, probably coming out <laughs> here to Texas. So you know, we have this, and I think especially for the younger professional uh, uh, people, as far as clientele, I think they're more so geared towards just seeing something different, new from what they're accustomed to back home, and um. I think, you know, as far as modern design, that's definitely something that uh, a lot of people are gearing towards uh, as far as the simplicity of the uh, materials inside the home. Uh, one thing that we try to do to eliminate the the feeling of the homes being cold is insert like the wood elements. You know, that's one thing that's a powerful tone that you're able to kind of sneak that in and have the wood accents to kind of tie everything together. And then I think the large windows, they light. I think that's really attractive to people window design is a, is a big topic as far as our design process with a lot of our clients. So that's, uh, that's what we've been seeing a lot more of as of late. I think the big glass is also big. Uh, one of the reasons that modern design can cost more too, you know, you get a, uh, a modern home or even a, like a, a, a transitional home with a lot of modern elements. You get a lot of glass, a lot of glazing on the house. You know, you could easily have $150,000 worth of glass in a house. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, where, whereas <laughs> maybe the same square footage traditional house might have $30,000 worth of glass in it. Yeah, Most definitely. I think, you know, something else, kind of going back to that original question of like, why are people going with like the gable modern or the interpretation of, you know, traditional style in that modern way? Maybe that familiarity of what the material is, like you were saying, Bryce, with the wood, right? And it's just like, that's something that we inherently are drawn to. It's, it's that warm feeling. It's something that we're used to. And so maybe it's just the application is different, right? So we take right. the same materials, we take the brick, but industrial modern is super popular, right? And we take the wood and we put it in there. And now that kind of farmhouse modern is super popular, right? So take the thing we know, slightly modify it, give it a, you know, a fresh kind of take on how we use the material. And, and I think that's going to pull more people over to the modern side, right. so to speak. We're actually getting, you know, with Instagram popularity, Pinterest, et cetera. Uh, we're getting some outreach for our designs with modern flair from kind of unexpected places. Having grown up in the Midwest, you know, I have connections in Missouri, Oklahoma, et cetera. And we're doing two or three projects that have come kind of through friends of friends that have found our, our Instagram through a recommendation and really like it. And it's, it's not like anything they, they get in that area. So I think it's also just a desire sometimes to have something, something new and fresh that not everyone else has. I think I think the the influence of you know Instagram and Pinterest and and Howls and all that stuff too um, has just brought more awareness to different styles. I think um, you know twenty years ago, before all those things existed, people just kind of saw what was in their neighborhood and yeah. they 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 saw traditional. They're like, oh, this is what I want because this is kind of what's around me. And so I think with the advent of the of all the social media and the the photo websites, you know, again, Pinterest and mm -hmm. Howls, where people are posting 
just pictures of really cool houses. I think lights go off in people's heads like, oh, I can have that. And you yeah, know, that yeah. does look cool. Like I've always thought that modern, maybe they're always thinking that modern was like 1950s, mid-century modern, which is also which cool. Which is great. But um, maybe that's that was their thought of, you know, quote unquote modern. Um, and they're like, hey, I, I like that element that I'm seeing here. Let's let's incorporate that. Mm-hmm. No, right. I think it's I think you're spot on now that we have digital media. You don't have to rely on the two or three projects that were published in you know a magazine. And that's, you know, I remember clipping stuff as a kid and saying like, oh, this is a really cool design. And but now, like you said, we have everything at our fingertips and we can look at, you know, Bob down the street and Jill over there and they all have these different, you know, pictures that they put up. And it's, you know, you can kind of take inspiration from around the world. Well, I think that people probably thought some of that stuff was uh, out of reach, even yeah. uh, if you're just looking at pictures in Architectural Digest magazine, and those are all generally very expensive houses. You're like, oh man, I could never afford that. But then you see people with you know normal houses or people in your in your social strata that have that, and you're like, oh, maybe I can afford that. Maybe I can start introducing some of this into my life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, right. you know, I think. You know, the uniqueness of some of the modern designs that we definitely produce, you know, I, you know, I think it attracts more people. It's just it's something they haven't really seen before. We have projects where, you know, we've gotten, you know, people from like New York who actually reached out to us, you know, to, oh man, you know, I've never, you know, seen like this, nothing like this before. And, and then, you know, we might, we have actually a tiny home community that we do in Arizona right now, modern design. And I think that's where, you know, people are really, you know, embracing this uniqueness. You know, I think you get tired of just seeing, you know, these neighborhoods, especially the you know, production homes and all of these cookie cutter designs and, you know, everything is about profit, mm-hmm. you know, and, and obviously when you do something unique and modern, you know, it's not really necessarily the most budget friendly. It can be, but, you know, it's it, because it's unique and it's a one-on-one design, it's a little bit more money involved. So, but I think people are, are accepting that and being more okay with going, going that route. Mm-hmm. We have a bit of an interesting situation right now. I'm, I'm, haven't asked permission to use their name, but we're working for a, a national production builder, just strictly their Houston division right now to freshen up their exterior designs. They you know, have a whole stable of plans that they just build and repeat. You know, that's the model for production builders, but they actually found themselves missing out on opportunities for new neighborhoods because the developers were not accepting their current exterior designs. So they have their own in-house department, but they've kind of honored us by giving us a chance to kind of create a fresh new look for them. That's awesome. What, what are some things that have kind of been, um, you know, popular over the last, you know, several years? Um, I'm, I'm thinking, um, things that we see that are kind of overdone that I'm tired of doing (laughs) things like, uh, like a white painted brick and, you know, all black windows and things like that. I mean, so talking about trends coming and going, are y'all are y'all seeing less request for that kind of stuff, uh, or are you still getting requests for that? I mean, do y'all feel like some of these things are still still there or on the way out? I I hope it's on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. The the white you know white brick uh, black accent everything. I mean it it's beautiful, but it you know, every third fourth house now is doing that it's going to be dated very quickly and i think exactly. everybody's going to look back and say oh remember 2020s right. you know? <laughs> it's like oh gosh blame hgtv for that yeah, right exactly. yeah, that's, that's we still get a lot of it but i i think it is on the downslide probably yeah yeah and i mean you have to think about it though from a you know consumer perspective you have to consume right you're not the one creating and so if that's what's being fed to you through the media and the different um inspirations 
you know, maybe it's up to us as the design community to put out even just conceptual sketches. It doesn't have to be something that's realized, but to say, hey, there's other ideas out there. Give them some inspiration that's not just the same old. Right. And, you know, different, uh, you know, I know you mentioned the brick, but I have a lot of clients who have been going with the natural stone. So we've been trying to, I have a lot, plenty of the white and black homes or whatever, but I, I definitely try to insert, you know, color and mixture of materials wherever possible. And then a lot of times budget is always, you know, the, the primary factor when it comes to these things. So you have to kind of figure out how to have a nice mixture of materials, but also try to keep everything together. We're seeing more natural brick selections come back in in our projects. Lighter tones, you know, no, no red brick, no build a red brick, but, uh, <laughs> you know, some, some lighter tones, neutrals, grays, tans, taupes, et cetera, um, versus just all the painted white. Yeah. I, I was joking about the white painted brick, but we actually just re- redid our 1950s ranch with white painted brick, but I had pink brick with pink mortar before. <laughs> oh, right. So the white, the, the, we didn't paint it. We did a, um, um, a masonry paint called, called Roma bio, uh, which painting brick is not really a good thing because it, it can seal it. And it doesn't breathe. So the, the Roma bio paint, uh, allows, you know, moisture to, to, to pass through it, it breathes, but we did the white painted brick to get rid of the pink brick. Exactly. But we also mixed in, uh, some other materials. So we did a, a wood, a wood siding mix with that, some stained wood to go with the white brick to soften it up. And I think the mixed materials is really big. Like almost all the houses that we're doing now have generally at least two, generally three uh, exterior materials. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of the, the mix. Uh, my home is a mix of actually red brick, funny okay, enough. And, and uh, no, it's, it's, no good. it's good. No, no, no. <laughs> Um, well, it's funny, you know, because the inspiration and, and so this is kind of, you know, how I approach design and how I'd love to see, you know, just more people around the city is is thinking about like, where is your home located? Obviously, if, you know, if it's out in the middle of the suburbs and there's not a lot of history there, then it might be a little hard to draw on that. But, you know, within the Rice military area of Houston, that was used as, um, you know, a World War training camp. Um, you know, it was it was a very much industrialized area. The, the rail line goes through there. Lots of blue collar, lots of, you know. Uh, warehouses and things. And that's really where we took the inspiration for it. Uh, And so, you know, a lot of times people will be walking by and they'll say this, this must've been a a remodel, right? You, you took this old existing building. I'm like, no, this is a new build. (laughs) And they're they're just shocked because it's like, Oh, I I thought it was always here. Well, that's a compliment. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely take it that way. And I think that's kind of the, the idea though, is that you look at your context, right? Look at the surroundings and see what would be appropriate here. And, you know, you can obviously take in, you know, inspiration from, you know, other places, but, you know, is stucco the most appropriate material for Houston? Probably not. I mean, we all, you know, walk around the neighborhood, you'll see scaffolding and mold and you're like, right. maybe, maybe brick <laughs> is a better choice. Right. But I, you know, exactly. I think it's kind of, how do you use the materials in, in a way that's going to be, you know, respectful of, of where it's at. Um, and then in a, you know, in a new way, in a new modern interpretation. And there's a, a lot of options for siding nowadays, you know, it's kind of frowned upon, you know, the, cheap four inch siding that you see, you know, on the lower income homes. But, you know, James Hardy has the higher in, in uh, products or whatever, the architectural shingles and mm-hmm. stuff of that nature. So we've been blessed to, you know, figure out creative ways of how to rearrange that, you know, different sizes all on the same house, but you do it in a way where it all kind of blends in and it creates a, a nice composition all, yeah. all together. And sometimes just mixing the sizes of the same material exactly. or mixing the, the lap, right? Like yes. you use the same, the same siding and do a, a section of four inch and a section of six inch. Exactly. And they also sell the same material and like an eight and a 10. So you can mix sizes and create some interest that way as well. Mm-hmm. That's still say within budget. 
<laughs> right. You know, when even looking at things, um, you know, different criteria more than just, you know, the aesthetic, right? So what about durability? What about the ongoing maintenance? You know, am I going to have to repaint this every five years? And so I think there's a lot more consideration that's being given to that from homeowners and building owners in general, they're saying, I don't want to have to deal with this, especially, you know, within the urban context and you're building three, four stories, you know, four is the new three now. So like, <laughs> yeah, how are so. you going to get up there? And so when I, when I look around some of these neighborhoods and I see, you know, um, like you said, the cheap siding that's going to have to be refinished, it's like, how are you going to get scaffolding up there? How are you, you know, it's going to be a, a big headache later on. And so I think, you know, just being smart about, um, you know, trying to choose materials that are appropriate in that way is, is a really important thing. We've had a couple of uh, episodes with uh, that are focused on home maintenance, and one of the things that we talk have, have talked about is that people just don't get out and check the things, and especially if it's a three or four story townhome or free st- or, or single family home, whatever. Um, it's it's hard to get out and check those. People don't own a a twenty plus foot ladder or scaffolding or whatever it is they need to check the caulking around their windows and to uh, the their their stucco. Uh, condition and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's up to us as design design professionals, builders to, you know, use products that they're not going to have to maintain as much. There's always going to be right. some level of maintenance, right? But um but helping them think through, you know, is this something that I can keep up with or not? Or maybe I should consider using something else that's a little more low maintenance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. No, and you're right. I think the average person, you know, doesn't realize that, you know, we're in Houston and the heat and the sun just beats up your house, you know. So regardless, you know, even the materials that aren't really require a lot of maintenance, that sun is just a whole nother level, you know, especially if it's direct, you know, especially with the amount of sunlight we receive per year. So that's just something you have to be mindful of, especially with the plumbing stacks coming out your roof, the caulking around that. That's like the biggest thing people don't understand. Six months to a year is about the most you could just like let that go. Yeah. You know, af- after that, you know, you have to get somebody up there to just kind of check around those things and caulking wears out, you know? So that's just, you know, we, we always try to make our clients mindful of that. It's just like, hey, you know, once this house is done, because we actually, you know, are part of the process throughout construction. So we try our best to, you know, we even do six month reminders to our clients, hey, check your caulking around your house, you know, the windows, you know, yeah. you, you'd be surprised. People don't even know that you have to do that. They think it's just, you know, once they're done, they're done. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I've had this exact same, exact same conversation with a few people here, but it's, it's kind of like uh, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, people were just more involved in doing things around the house and their property. They would get out, they would paint their own house. They would do their own maintenance. It's same thing with cars. People used to work on their own cars a lot more, and now we tend to just hand that off to somebody else. True. And part of it is things have just got more complicated. Right. But a big port, a big portion of that is we're just busy. We don't have time. We don't make the time. We don't place an importance on it. And so I think that maintenance issues that would have gotten caught 50 years ago by by my my dad or grandpa aren't getting looked at today. So um, agreed. You know. Having a having a company to do home maintenance for you, we've had uh, Goodsmith on here a couple times. Uh, Eric Klein that owns Goodsmith, they have a great service where they come out on set intervals and they check all the caulking. Yeah. They 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 do those things. Highly recommend it. Yeah. So if you're you know if if you're a busy professional, uh, don't try to do it yourself. You know, right. hire somebody to do it for you because it is important and it is going to cause problems for you long term if you don't do it. Absolutely. Most definitely. You know, we're all, we're on a job right now. In fact, uh, we're we're in the middle of trying to fix it. Where somebody had a four-story stucco townhouse uh, in the Heights, 
and no maintenance was done at all on the stucco for the last 20 years. Oh, man. <laughs> and all the stucco had to come off the front of the, the house. Uh, all the framing was rotten. The engineers having to figure out how to fix the framing because it's cantilevered out and oh. the trusses are rotted out. And so, so how do we even fix it? Oh, man. And it's going to cost forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 just to fix the framing so the house didn't fall down. And most of that could have been prevented by just maintaining the stucco. Right. I had a job recently uh, in the Upper Kirby area where a window installer, you know, I guess just nailed, put put the wrong nail in the wrong place as far as the when he installed the windows. And I guess it punctured a hole within a stucco. And it was a very, very small hole. But over time, you could just tell all the brown, the brown streaks are going through the behind the wall and and, you know, it costs the owner, homeowner, like 10 or 15K, you know, to remove that whole little section just because of just the insulation of that window. Yeah. So the stucco was put on properly, but the window got, you know, kind of messed it up. And so that's the only thing that sucks about certain materials. You have to be aware of, you know, these type of problems that could occur, you know, depending on how things are installed. We kind of got off the off the design track a little bit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no it, that, that was me taking it that way. Um, anything else kind of on exteriors I want to talk about? Any other trends that you're currently seeing or getting a lot of requests for or things that are popping up something that kind of ties into the the maintenance issue you know looking at the wood slats here in the studio um you know we have a lot of clients that are inspired by austin modern california modern etc dry climates a lot of exposed wood on the exterior and we you know try to educate them that that is just not the thing to do here unless you have the budget for um you know a great composite product that gives the look or an e-pay or something that can withstand um you know, if your budget is cedar, don't clad the outside of the home with yeah, wood. Absolutely. Yeah. Unless you like the rustic. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've had uh, people recently, I uh, guess for its industrial modern look, it's corrugated metal. Mm. You know, we've been playing with that on some of our products or whatever. Some oh, actually have a whole house all in corrugated metal. And mm. the client was just in love with that look <laughs> and, you know, and maxed it out to the fullest, <laughs> you know. So, but I'm not huge with, you know, the whole house being corrugated metal, but uh, if anything, I would like to kind of play with it and have a mixture of materials with it. But yeah, that's definitely something that I've got requests a couple of requests on recently. Yeah. yeah. We're doing a little um, kind of a series of cottages uh, for a family out in the Hockley area. So it's going to be all kind of connected by a boardwalk. And each of those is actually going to be uh, with a corrugated, um, or not corrugated, standing seam metal roof that's going to go down and then, you know, continue down the sides, almost like oh, the Scandinavian uh, looks. Oh, and we're, right. see, we're seeing a lot cool. more of a kind of requests for that style of modern very like embracing of nature and uh you know really simplistic but warm materials so i'm excited to see where that one goes that sounds interesting i, I agree about the scandinavian we're seeing more of those influence as well the japandi i've heard it called the yeah. japanese oh, Scandinavian yeah. combo um it's a good look it's a great yeah. look we're actually doing a interior build out for a nail salon with a japandi okay. uh, interior style very That's nice cool. and then recently um there's a solar there's a roof product that solar panels integrated. So, you know, on a high end budget, you know, I, we've, you know, instead of having these huge solar panels on the roof, I'm, I'm not really a big fan of the, I think Tesla actually has a product or whatever, mm -hmm. where they integrated solar panels within the roof shingles. So uh, we've got a couple of requests on the high end products for that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, just kind of piggybacking on that, just the whole idea of the sustainable products and, and systems. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like COVID was probably the the kind of tipping point for that where people, I mean, you, you look back and COVID hit and everybody's at home and they're like, I don't, I can't go to the store to get bread. I got to figure out how to make it. Right. And so now they're like, I want to be self-sufficient. I want to have, you know, the solar, I want to have the water. I want to have my garden, you know, like that's a huge one for, for several people that we've been talking with is, well, you know, can I have a, a really good 
landscaped area with edible fruits and vegetables and trees rather than just a manicured lawn. Like, why do I want to have to go out and water and have a chore when I could, you know, do these things? So, you know, it's kind of extending, uh, mixing the interiors and exteriors as a big part of it as well. I piggyback on COVID. I think that also size the the garden area i think people also have been a request and just making sure that they could truly entertain in the house you know now that when the world's kind of shut down and you know nobody could really interact you know that became a thing like you know how do I, you know i entertain how do i enjoy myself inside the home mm-hmm. so we've been really focusing on people you know being able to truly do that you know function in, inside their house that's a great transition into my next uh, topic which is Floor plans, like you said, entertaining floor plans are, are still very popular. People want to have people over now. 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, all the rooms were generally very segmented. You'd have like a dedicated formal living room, formal dining room, smaller family room, smaller kitchen walls between all of those. And, and the, but here for the last you know 15 years at least, everything's just been getting more and more open, like fewer interior walls dividing spaces. Um, and one thing that I commented on last week was that feels fantastic, but the problem is there's nowhere to, there's nowhere to put your furniture and there's nowhere to hang artwork and it can be very noisy. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, what do y'all think about that? And do you see any move back toward having a little bit more segmentation in the spaces? We're seeing it a little bit, you know, we're, we're definitely still getting requests for formal dining rooms that feel like a different and special place, but yet aren't as enclosed as they have been previously. Uh, we've actually got a project right now where the couple are art collectors, so they want modern open concept, but they have needs. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it has a, a long, generously sized gallery that runs left to right the whole length of the house that will be their primary art display. So, you know, take those things into considerations and try to make sure we get plenty of net glass, natural light, open concept, but still providing for the needs. Yeah, as far as the dining room, you know, I'm I'm not a real big fan of traditional dining room. You know, is from all of the conversations I've had with hundreds of clients, you know, it's the most expensive room that's used three or four times a year. That traditional family style where people actually remove themselves from the living room to eat, it's just not really you know, common these days. So, but as you also get tired of seeing the dining room in the middle between the kitchen and the living room. You know, that kind of gets played out at those at so many times. Right. Yes. So um, nowadays, it's, you know, having a dining room in a set, set, uh, situated area, but it's still kind of connected to everything else. So that's kind of the trend that we've kind of been trying to do, where it's still, you know, a nice dining room area, but it still feels a part of the living room, dining room but not in the middle of it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny because with my commercial background, it, we see a lot of these trends kind of uh, start in the commercial spaces. So like mm-hmm. in the corporate office, obviously everybody was cube farms and open office, everything. And everybody hated it. Why? Because it was noisy. You couldn't <laughs> have private, all the same reasons. Right. And so um, seeing the shift within the corporate space to more of a, a flexible type of, you know, choose your own adventure, so to speak. It's like, you have a place for focus work that is maybe like a little phone booth or you have a place for small meetings and informal meetings and things like that. And that is really similar to what I'm seeing um, on the residential side now. And they're kind of following by a couple of years there. But flexible spaces is really, um, I think, where things are going to be going, you know, like. I don't want a full wall, but I also don't want no walls. So maybe we put it up and. um you know, put a barn door or some curtains or something where we have switchable, you know, smart glass where we can push a button and it goes defrosted. And now I feel like it's private, even though there's somebody on the other side of it and, and giving people a lot more flexibility. Um, cause I think that's another product of 
COVID where it's like, well, I have a bedroom and this is now my office. Well, why don't I have a Murphy bed? And then it can be both without it feeling like I'm stuffed in on top of the, the mattress while I'm trying to you know get my work done. Yeah, we did a job uh, we finished last year where um, we were doing the design and the, the client was like, I don't know if I want my dining room here or here or here. And so we just left it open. We didn't put any chandeliers in. It was all recessed lighting that, you know, could kind of work in any, any area. And they, they said, we'll just decide after we move in where we want the dining room to be. And so we made the floor plan flexible to where they could have, that could be a dining area or it could be a seating area or it could be a little bar area or whatever. And then if the next buyer of the house didn't want to, didn't want, want to use it for that purpose, they just switch the furniture around, right? Yeah. So they intentionally wanted to make the space very flexible. Yeah, the flexibility, I think, um, probably goes hand in hand with, you know, as the population is aging. You know, I mean, we're going to have like what one in six will be over 65 in the next couple of years and then it'll increase from there. And so when you think about the whole concept of aging in place, like how do you make a space that's good for you right now with, you know, maybe a young family and you've got kids and then they're going to graduate and go off. Well, now what do you do? Now you have what, four or five bedrooms right. that nobody's in. Well, you know, let's think about that in a, in a way that we can make it flexible, um, you know, maybe turn something into a hobby room or, you know, offices, workout rooms, things like that, and really give mm -hmm. it, you know, second life. Exactly. I think more recently uh, we've had a lot of clients who definitely request like the game room. Like we were big with having a game room kind of overlooking living rooms. You see that a lot in a lot of modern homes and you know, just a lot of floor plans of, as of recent. And we've had a lot of clients who complain about noise. So that's, that's kind of something that we try to take into consideration. We still like the, Second floor kind of being open, and when you walk up to the second floor, you don't really like into walk into like walls and hallways. So, figuring out creative ways you could do that, but still reduce the noise transfer when the kids playing in the game room versus when the parents are entertaining downstairs. So, that's that definitely been a design challenge that we've had to deal with recently. Mm -hmm. Agreed. As a father of three teenagers, <laughs> I encourage people to kind of stay away from that open two-story foyer to game yeah. room, living room setup. It, it looks nice, but, yeah, <laughs> you know, function. It, it's, it's right for certain people, not right for <laughs> others. So and That's where something, just even a simple thing of like a really heavy um, interior drapery can right. really cut down on, on the noise. That's smart. And things like that. That's smart. It doesn't have to be an expensive uh, solution. Right. I've had more people like seemingly thinking a lot longer term than they used to where where they're thinking you know whereas before people were coming to us and saying you know i have to have all these things for my little you know three and four and five year old kids they're not thinking hey those kids are not going to be that age too much longer right yeah. <laughs> now i'm finding more clients are actually thinking longer term they're saying you know what these kids aren't going to be this age that much longer let's not build this one special room just for five-year-olds because honestly, by the time the house is finished being designed and built, right. they're not going to be five anymore. Now they're going to be six, you know, seven or eight. Right. So um, I, I think people are, at least in my, in my experience, are taking a little bit more practical approach to what they want to include in the house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then aging in place, like you know, piggybacking off of that, you know, one thing that we've been trying to focus on is making it easy to transition to like 88 bathrooms for a home. Mm -hmm. you know? exactly. So I tell my clients that, hey, you know, you're not there yet. But if this is your forever home, you know, let's make it easy for you to install the hand grab bars, you know, or the zero transition showers or, you know, make sure that, you know, if you do have to have a wheelchair, the bathroom is big enough for you to be, you know, be comfortable and you're not doing a major remodel to make that work. Mm -hmm. So that's when, when people are, you know, at a certain age and they're doing custom homes with us, I always try to emphasize that, especially if they're master bedrooms on the second floor. I'm also thinking about, okay, hey, 
if you possibly want an elevator in the future, how do we make that work now? You know, where you don't have to install that right now, but, you know, I want to make it where it's possible to do that in the future. Yeah, you know, it st- stacks the closets for you exactly. so you can put it in there. Exactly. Exactly. I will give my uh, shameless plug of elevator. Absolutely. We have one in our, yes. our home and worth every penny. Oh yeah. Has Put it out. in from day one and you will use it. <laughs> I always encourage people to let us design it regardless of whether they will put it in or not, because it's just great storage. I mean, yeah. you have a generous size storage closet on each floor. Yeah. So win, win. And they're not, they're not that expensive to, to do a basic elevator these days. Like you can put in a, a basic two story, two, two or three story, residential elevator for $30,000 or yeah. more or less, 25 to $30,000. Yeah. yeah. Now you can spend a lot if you want to. Uh, we're, we're about to install one. That's a $250,000 elevator. Oh man. Um, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> but, uh, we also just did one that was $25,000, man. Yeah. And so, and, and, and that was for, uh, an, an older client who had a, a second floor master suite and, and she wanted the master suite on the second floor. And so, um, yeah, for for 30,000 bucks, she has no access issues. Yeah. And even thinking about, you know, if other family members end up moving in with you, right. Cause you know, when we're thinking about the aging population, like who's going to take care of those folks and maybe you're going to be a multifamily household. Um, you know, and as the culture kind of shifts to, to that mindset, what does your house look like? Do you need to start planning for, you know, mother-in-law suite or even like a little casita or something on the property room? You know, how do we start to accommodate um, more than just self here and now? And I think storage is the, the biggest thing that people just overlook. You know, it, I, I bought my house uh, five years ago. I, didn't, I haven't designed it yet. I'm, that's my next phase. But, <laughs> you know, it was four bedroom, three bath house for me and my wife. And we have three kids now. But, you know, you'd be surprised how storage just kind of gets smaller and smaller by the year. Mm-hmm. So I, I tr- and nobody wants, I hate when my wife asks me to go, to, go into the attic. <laughs> you know, it's never a fun, you know, experience. You know, it, every Christmas, you know, got to drag Christmas tree down. So I try to find creative ways, you know, especially when we have two-story plans of creating walk-in access, you know, storage, you know, within the attic. It's not necessarily a room that you have to build out, but depending on how you do your roof lines, you know, we could create this volume where you, this could be great space, great storage space, you know, and it's just it's something where you open the door to get to it. Right. So that's, that's one thing I always try to be mindful of my clients. Hey, let, let's make sure that we have enough storage, storage for you to, you know, for 10 years from now, Yeah. you know, you got plenty of little nooks and crannies to, you know, <laughs> to kind of put things away if you want to. Well, attics, now that we're doing uh, mostly spray foam houses here in Houston and, and those, those attics are either semi-conditioned or we're actually putting a supply air duct in the attic. Smart. Uh, those, those are viable storage spaces, Absolutely. whereas the unconditioned Texas attic of the past, where it was like mine right now, it's 130 degrees in there. Right. I don't want to store things in there because it's not going to hold up well to the heat. <laughs> uh, but but with the new um, you know energy codes uh, that are in place, it's kind of making everybody, not everybody, but most most people are doing spray foam insulation now, and those attics are way more comfortable and, and actually usable now. How do you feel about spray foam throughout the entire home? Uh, I, I prefer it. And, and that's, what, that's what we're mostly using. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know that we, we work with Toner uh, Kirsting on all of our projects. He's been on the podcast more than anybody, anybody else. Sem, semi co-host. And <laughs> right. I know that David, you work with Toner. Do you guys work with Toner at all? Yeah, we used him on our house. I've heard of him. I haven't used him. Okay. So it, kind of his standard specs are, are doing spray foam on the whole house. Okay. 
Um, so that's kind of why we've transitioned to that. Okay. Yeah, no, no, and the, the better energy. You know, when you're doing a modern homes, you'd have these large windows. One of the concerns is how much energy are we losing throughout the home? Mm-hmm. You know, so spray foam with the double pane windows, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, something that uh, we try to propose to our clients. The, you know, even though we have these large windows, you know, we can still make the house pretty energy efficient. And if you have the ability, you know, when, when it comes down to the things that we can control within the design component is, you know, which side of the building are the windows going to be on? Can we start Smart. to move them towards the north side where we don't get all the heat gain? Smart. Uh, you know, maybe minimize sizes or, you know, give that give it an angle, you know, maybe shift the direction of the house if we can. Obviously, exactly. it, it depends a lot on the, the building site. And Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> One of the things that we uh, touched on in, in our first season where we talked about planning a, a, a successful project is getting your architect, designer, builder, everybody on board possibly even before you go buy a lot if you yes, can please. absolutely <laughs> i mean that, right. that that's really the best way to do it like don't go out and buy the property first and then you know go ahead and put your team together and then and get that team to help you pick the right lot yes because we might look at it and say this is for for the style of house that you want for what you want to spend this is a terrible location <laughs> yeah, right. mm-hmm. yeah. Or- yeah, we do um, feasibility studies as a regular service that we offer just to, you know, we'll take a look at the survey, we'll go out there and, you know, maybe they have two or three different uh, properties. And this goes for residential and commercial, just saying like, will what you want fit here in the ways that you think it will? And sometimes we'll find like, oh, well, did you know that you don't have utilities out in this rural area? Or did you know, um, you know, the, the neighbor next door is actually building something and we looked at the permits and they're going to be, you know, four stories high. Do you really want, you know, to put your low lying roof house here where you're going to be completely enclosed by my neighbors and just, you know, looking at things yeah. that maybe most people wouldn't even think of. Yeah. There's a power line here and you yeah. can't be that close to the yeah, power exactly. line. I was just going yep. to mention that, into that a lot. Yes. Yeah. I've had to learn that the hard way. Uh, <laughs> Me too. A, a project, uh project I did in, in the gallery area, we were literally completely framed, getting the frame inspection done. And I guess a neighbor called in for some reason on center point, center point came out there and we were six inches too close to the transformer. Mm-hmm. So we had to either move the power pole or reframe that portion of the house. So it was easier to move the power pole, but it was a twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollar, you know, right. bill. Mm-hmm. So that's that's never. So now, <laughs> you know, that's kind of one of the first things. And where's you know, the power? Where's the, the power circle. line? Where are exactly. the transformer lines? You know, and yeah, yeah. So, some of the cities require that for permitting. So uh, Bel Air, Westview. Uh, some of the other smaller towns require a power line profile to show that you're yes. meeting those clearances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just recently uh, ran into that. I, I was not aware until just a few months ago on a project that they were requiring that. Now I think it's very smart. Yeah. Rather than finding Honestly, out you, after the fact. Houston should require that too. I mean, yeah, should. everyone should. should require it because it would save instances like that where yeah. you're spending 20 grand or more to make that happen. And right. you feel good because you're not in the utilities, but that has nothing to do with the closeness of the power line. Right. You know, that's yeah. two different situations. And Centerpoint and City of Houston are two different entities. They don't talk to each other. No. <laughs> they, right. They, they don't. don't. So, yeah, I seen your post. And I'm like, oh, man, I have flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. I, I, I require our, especially, well, you know, if we have 25 foot backyards, you know, it's not, you don't have to worry about it. But, right. you know, some of these, you know, townhomes and stuff, you know, I, I request my clients from day one, hey, as well as power line profile service. Yes. I need to be prepared. This is in case Point gives me a call. I want to be able to show the diagram that, hey, we're compliant. Yeah, we do the you same. Know, it's funny because uh, we were in an almost similar situation when we were looking for property to build our home on. And there was this little 
sliver of a land. Uh, I think it was somebody else's backyard that they just replatted and were like, oh, I, architect, I can do something with this. And it was like, it's going to be an 18 foot wide house, you know, but then we looked at the power line and I was like, OSHA won't let us get close enough to actually construct it with a worker being that close to a power line and the transformer. And so we went right. through, you know, the due diligence and, and feasibility and went and talked to Centerpoint and they, they kind of threw up their hands and said, well, we can't help you. Like we can't do uh, a shutdown of the line to let you do like a, a prefab, you know, crane it in. We can't move it. We can't do this. Can't do that. I'm like, well, we're not buying it. Right. You know? And somebody else ended up buying it several years later and they poured the foundation and then it just sat wow. for months and months and months. And I was like, they're having to deal with yeah, that power exactly. line issue now. And eventually it, it did get built, but. We're starting to require the same thing with profile surveys of the power lines in certain situations. And I've explained to clients that that aerial easement shown on the survey means absolutely nothing. You know, it's, <laughs> and I, then I don't you, know why we even <laughs> refer to that. But. And then, like you said, we, we, we really, we always try to inform our clients, you know, before you purchase your land, you know, let, let us look at the property at the minimum. You know, we, we don't even charge for that, you know, especially if we, if we feel like we're going to get the job. Uh, we had a client in our colony. Gas lamp, gas lines are everywhere. How mm -hmm. <laughs> a that's just like, you know, Exxon just kind of. Yeah, the know. transmission lines. Yeah. Oh, man. And so anyways, we have a client who's trying to do a dance studio out there in our it brand new development. And the gas line goes through the right in the middle of our property. She's always, per she's already purchased it, you know, so we we're in, you know, to the process. But it just sucks because, you know, her idea of the project, what it was going to be is just completely different now. You know, there's 25 foot easements on each side of the property. So. Out of, you know, maybe 20,000 square feet, she probably could only use like 8,000 of it because the, the property line, the gas line divides the property in half. And you can't even, be, you can't even put concrete on top of this. Yeah. 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 So definitely get your, get your design team on board, your, your design team and your builder, as, as many people as you can involved early to help you catch those kinds of things. Absolutely. So sometimes there, there, there's other ways to get around that. So, uh, Bren, you mentioned uh, possibly shutting down the power lines during a period of time. Right. They will do that. So we're doing one in uh, the museum district to where they, they came in and, and de-energized a section of lines to allow us to put scaffolding up on the backside of a building. Man. Um, and it, it, I think it cost $5,000 for them to do that. They come and put some temporary wires to jump it off to another section of of, uh, of power lines but um having your team on board with you that that has that knowledge that that can be done or mm -hmm. that can't be done uh can, can save you a bunch of money buying a property that you're stuck with and <laughs> now you can't resell it because everybody else is thinking about that even though you didn't <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly another concern that you know we have to deal with in houston obviously it's a flood zone you know, that's obviously that's everywhere almost, you know, and then it's since Harvey, you know, 500 years, just as important now, you know, and so I try to edu educate our clients, you know, all flood zone areas aren't the same. You know, you're in Maryland, we might be nine feet in there, you know, but you'll be further out, we might be three feet in there. So just kind of being aware, like, again, that's another thing that, you know, you come to us before you purchase a property, you know, we can kind of at least educate you as best as we can, you yeah. know, on, on stuff like that as well. There was actually one one positive change yesterday that I found out. I'm not sure if you guys got this news already, but um, you know the city of Houston put some pretty bad detention requirements in place for right. for properties. But yet, uh, as of yesterday, properties between fifteen thousand square feet and an acre get an automatic credit of nine thousand square feet worth Man. of coverage. 
So Man. that actually removes the requirement for detention from a lot of projects. Man, so in fact, good. we had one that we're, <clears throat> the client was going to have to do 40 or $50,000 worth of underground storage tanks. Yes. We permitted it that way. And then I got that news and immediately I, I called the engineer. I was like, redraw it. We're going to repermit yeah. it and change that. Take, out. take yeah. that off because it saves the client. Fifty thousand yeah. dollars. I have one permitting right yeah. now. I'm gonna when we get out of here. Yeah, I'll <laughs> I'm take to make some phone calls. Yeah, absolutely. Did you hear that? I heard that it might be a possibility. We have two under construction right now with the same builder yeah. that is was was hoping to be able to save his clients that cost and was kind of waiting for the definite answer. But I did not hear that it was confirmed. BEC emailed me yesterday and said okay. this went through. That's good. So let your clients <laughs> okay. know. So we, had, in fact, we had two clients that that said that had put their projects on hold because that was going to be a big expense. Man. And I, I emailed them and they said, okay, let's get moving forward again. <laughs> so no, that's, that's exciting news. Yeah. But again, that that's one of those things that if you go buy a property that's fifteen thousand and one square feet, <laughs> or, right. or, or, or fifteen thousand instead of fourteen nine ninety nine. And you didn't know that that requirement was there. You, you just cost yourself another $50,000 well before this change. We've had to break that news to clients a couple of times after <laughs> yeah. the fact that we're, we're not aware when they came to us with their property already purchased. Yeah, it's, a, it's a big hit. Yep. The last thing on, on floor plans I wanted to touch on real quick. Are there any other um, spaces in floor plans that you've either been getting more requests for uh, more dedicated spaces or, or less requests for. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, during COVID, everyone wanted for sure one study, but sometimes they wanted two studies because yeah. both people were working at home. We got a lot of requests for that at the time. And now it's kind of gone away a little bit. We're still getting, hey, we need at least one. Right. Um, so anything like that where you're seeing more requests for certain spaces? Prep kitchens. Prep Dirty yeah. pantry, prep kitchen, spice kitchen, whatever you want to refer to it as, you know, as has become huge. We're doing some form of them in virtually every project now, mm. it seems. Uh, and they can vary from just some additional countertop in the pantry to, you know, really a, a full-on second kitchen with, <laughs> yeah. with all appliances, et cetera. I, I would say that's the biggest thing we're seeing. Uh, kids, kids study areas like kids study nooks. I think that's something that on the second floor, usually that's something that people has been requesting. And now that the husband and the wife, you know, tends to work at home nowadays since COVID and a lot of companies still give a lot of their, uh, uh, their workers, employees, you know, that option of working at home. So it's like, I'm in office two times, three times of the week. I'm at home two days. So I need a place to work. And a lot of times husband and wife don't want to be in the same room phone calls, Zoom calls, or whatever. It's so, not practical sometimes. So right. now we're not necessarily doing in full offices and homes now. Now it's like several study nooks throughout the home. And that's what that's, that's kind of been a trend that we've been noticing as of late. I yeah, agree. Yeah, second on the, the study nook or just in a small area. Maybe it has, a like you said, a barn door or something. You can slide yeah. on. Now I'm enclosed and okay, and open right. it up. But um, hobby rooms. Yeah. Something where, yeah. you know, we can go have the creative you know, messy stuff where you don't have to put it away all the time and you have big tables and shelves and, you know, everybody can kind of get their modeling or whoever, who knows what they right. do, but uh, that's been kind of a, a popular thing that people have been asking for. I've done recently, I've done a speakeasy in the house, you right. know, uh, it's pretty, pretty cool little design. Like I have. a hidden door, a hidden door and <laughs> hidden is in a wine room underneath the staircase. And then one of my wine rooms is a hidden door that leads to the speakeasy. It's, it's a mid-level study that we I'm doing in Pearland and it's about eight and nine feet of space underneath the study. And instead of doing a crawl space, you know, I'm trying to you know, convince the owner, let's, let's build it out and, and do something cool with it. 
first I was just thinking storage, but they were like, oh man, well, we, we like speakeasy. Right. Like, Let's do your own speakeasy inside your, you know, your house. So, That's cool. So Wait. that was pretty cool. And, um, uh, she sheds. That's something I've been getting a lot of requests. You know, a lot, you know, you hear man caves a lot, but you know, I've had a lot of wives who are like, Hey, I want my own space too. You know, so how do I, you know, give the balance of a man cave and a, the, the wife to have their own personal space as well. So we've been finding creative ways to, you know, for both parties to be happy. You know, a lot of times, you know, architects, we're marriage counselors, <laughs> you know, a lot of times. So and, we have and builders. <laughs> well, well, y'all count. Y'all counsel them and then you hand them off to us. We have, exactly. we have to continue it. Yeah. So, you know, I go, we want, you know, obviously, you know, the wife leads the projects, you know, but, you know, I always try to make sure that the husband gets taken care of some way, somehow, you know, and it's finding a balance with that, you know, so sometimes it's easier said than done. Yeah. I would say maybe the last thing on, you know, the floor plan and just the layout of spaces is an integration of outdoor um, rather than just having, you know, here's the box of the house, then you have the yard and everything's over there. It's, it's really more of an integrated approach where, you know, it has a little balcony or a little porch or, uh, you know, how can we open up the wall, you know, and have like a sliding glass partition system and, and make it really, truly indoor outdoor. Yeah. That's been really popular. Let that hundred degree air into the house <laughs> and mess up your AC system right. and, yeah. and everything else. Yeah. We joke about that all the time. It's like all the clients want the big 16 foot sliding yeah. doors for the two times a year that you're going to yeah. open them. But, uh, you know, we try to find, you know, we use the doors where, you know, if it, even if it's a 16 or 20 foot door and you have four or five panels, we make it where it's operable, at least two of the panels, mm-hmm. you know, where that's more practical, you know, right. you know, you still have an eight foot open and you still get all this natural light, but you're not really going to open this 20 foot, have this huge 20 foot opening, you know, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Now I'm doing one in the Riverside Terrace area where, you know, again, a client, you know, once we have kitchen, it's kind of a unique design. The kitchen is kind of in its own separate zone from the living and dining. It's very request from the client. And we have sliding doors in front of the kitchen. And, and but we have like a dining area outside of it where we have a mosquito screen system and screens to come down. So you kind of, you know, enclose from the elements, but it's still hot. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm I'm curious to see how often she uses it. It's going to be beautiful. Don't get me wrong when we're done, but you know I'm just curious to see how often she has this whole thing open, like she plans on having. It. Yeah, I like the idea that that Bren said of kind of integrating the spaces to where it's not like it, it's a it's a rectangle where the house stops here and then the yard starts here. It's yeah. like uh, how how can we kind of wrap those spaces into each other? Yes, um, as so people feel like they can move move indoors outdoors right. and enjoy the space i i think i think when you have these two indoor outdoor segmented spaces people maybe ignore the outdoor space They're like oh, i don't want to go out there it's whereas if you kind of integrate the two it kind of draws them out out to that Absolutely. that area Absolutely. some of my favorite projects are when clients come to us and request a an l shape a u shape a courtyard design where we're really maximizing the amount of that exterior wall on outdoor spaces with you know, an interior courtyard plus the rear yard, possibly a front entry courtyard. It's even in our climate where you're not necessarily going out and using them. It's still a great feature to walk by in your air conditioning and, you know, look out and see the nice fountain out in the courtyard or whatever it may be. Absolutely. You know, take advantage of the, the land that you paid for. Right. Exactly. We recently had a client uh, in the Bel Air area off of Chimney Rock who purchased a nice piece of property, a public 7,000 square feet land. I'm sorry, 8,000 square feet. And the problem is, it's off a major thoroughfare. So it's a 25-foot setback. The lot is only 60 feet wide. We have, so we got 25-foot setback off the street and then another, like, seven, eight feet because of the neighborhood. So, you know, it's almost like a shotgun home. But in their mind, you know, they was going to have this 
beautiful, huge home. But, you know, now I'm only working with 30 feet of footprint. But I'm pretty proud of the project. It's actually uh, about to go to permitting. Because, um, you know, at first it was, was kind of like, oh, man, this is, this is horrible news to tell the client that, hey, you can't use half of your property because of the city ordinance. You know, but we was able to come and create with a design where that whole side of the house is all just beautiful outdoor landscape, you know, pool, fire pit, uh, landscape garden area. And we designed the house where is views of that all throughout the house. So now it's like, oh, man, like, you know, this is horrible. But, you know, now it's like I, I love what, you know, what's going on now. You know, as far as we didn't even think about, you know, kind of having this indoor outdoor type flow. It's in a flood zone, too. So that's another catch. You know, so it's five feet off the ground. But still, even with all that considered, you know, the clients are kind of in love with the final product with it. You know, because we, we turned a, a bad situation to good, you know, just by introducing and educating them with other options, you know, to make it work. So. Last thing I wanted to touch on was um, alternative building products. So I wanted to ask if you guys have had any requests for people interested in building with things like uh, ICF, uh, concrete forms, or any kind of panelized systems, 3D printing, uh, any of that kind of stuff. Y'all had any, any requests for any of that? We had a uh, SIPS project two years ago or so, I think, and it was uh, it was new to us. I you know had always been just kind of the conventional wood framing realm um it was interesting the the builder that attempted it after it was done said he would not do it again he i, I don't know whether it was an un, uneducated framer or what the exact situation was but he kind of regretted it at the end yeah but that's kind of the only recent one we've had I have an ICF home in um, our colony or whatever it's, it's unique um you know I had to do a lot of research on the details and how things go together and stuff of that nature. Obviously, the art values are, are tremendous, you know, our 30s, our 40s, you yeah. know. Um, the problem is, you know, you just lose, you don't realize how much space you lose, you know, so. Yeah, the walls are eight, eight, to, eight to 10 inches thick. 14 to 16 inches thick. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, and then you times two. So that's almost two or three feet of just wall that you have to kind of consider. So that was, that's, that was the, that's the biggest kind of, you know, I guess the situation the client had to kind of deal with as far as, you know, hey, you know, they wanted a certain square footage, you know, obviously for budget purposes. But then it's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I've lost two or three feet all throughout the house, you know, so we had to come up with creative ways to still make the spaces feel good, but stay within this square footage, you know, range. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, as far as uniqueness of the energy values and, and you know, they were concerned about our colonies, you know, the wind zone area, yeah. like that. So. ICF is, it handles that both of those situations pretty well. Yeah. It's also very, very quiet. Too. Yes. Yes. Like absolutely. If, if you're in, in an ICF house, it's uh, it's very quiet. It's a yeah. very different experience. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, I, you know, similar kind of experiences here when, um, when I was designing my home, I had actually wanted to use metal insulated panels. So you just, you know, pop them up right. like Legos. It sounds great. I went out and, you know, toured the manufacturer plant and all this. And then they stopped producing them after I issued the permit, you know, I was like, <laughs> okay, you know, so I had to change the drawings, you know, scramble to do all that. And, you know, what I realized is that the, the learning curve, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with things that people haven't dealt with, you really have to make sure you have a good team um, who is open-minded, who is, you know, really into learning if, you know, cause if, if they expect to just do it the way they've always done, you're going to have problems. And so, you know, we were, Fortunate, you know, through through that the project, we were able to finally find, you know, a team that was able to support us in doing things differently, you know, using 
steel construction and, you know, concrete floors and, you know, all kinds of things where uh, a lot of people might get a little scared off, you know, if they're just doing the same old. So right. something to think and keep in mind. I think as some of those products get, get more use, like ICF, there, there weren't many people in Houston doing that mm-hmm. for, for quite a while. Um, there's a guy, we're going to have him on the podcast pretty soon, who specializes in that. He's out of Galveston. But he's actually become a, a distributor for an ICF manufacturer here in our area. And he, he has his own crews that now that just do ICF. So nice. if, if I, as a builder, want to hire him to just come and do all my ICF framing, he'll do that. Yes. Um, and so I, I went with him and Toner and a couple other guys, and we toured um, the, the um, New Dura ICF uh, facility in Ohio, in Ohio. And it was a really good learning experience that just to, to see how all that goes together and, and learn about that, that technology. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good point, though, of, of having a local representative, uh, you know, for a manufacturer, because, you know, when we were looking into some of the products that I was considering, their their closest person was in Virginia or, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you definitely want to be able to, you know, call somebody up on the phone and say, hey, can you come over and take a look at this? Is this correct? Especially when it's the first time for a lot of the, the people on the team to deal with it. Right. And, then, you know, when you're dealing with something new, I think most subs, you know, it, like, unless you have, like you said, a, a, a representative of a company, a larger company, less local, you know, everything goes up 30, 40 percent. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody doesn't hasn't seen something, you know, even like those people who not really even involved, like, you know, drywall and, you know, they, mm-hmm. they want to increase their prices, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, this is a new house. You know, I want to be sure that you know, I'm, I'm compensated well, you know, just in case something goes wrong, because I'm not used to dealing with this type of product. So that's something that you have to kind of be aware of and just like I said, make sure that the people you're using, they, you know, at least have experience with it and knowledgeable with it and, and or they've done it before, you know, at the minimum. It's also re- also realizing there's a time penalty there too, because yes. if it's the first time a crew's done that, or even if it's just a material that's not used very often here, it's going to take more time to put it up. And if you're a little bit short on materials, it's going to yeah. take some time to order those and right. wait for those to come in. You know, if you're short 100 ICF blocks and you have to wait for them to be manufactured and shipped from Ohio. Yeah. Right. Or whatever, you know. It's not a hot shot delivery from bottle bottle. Or- mm-hmm. You can't just swap it out for exactly. something else. Right. Yeah. So your upfront cost might be a little bit more, but obviously, you know, you save in energy efficiency, you know, in the long run for the most part. Yeah. The long-term cost of ownership and the comfort is going to be way better, but. You know, before you do something like that, also I think it's making sure that you're you're going to be there for a while. It's exactly, not, right. it's not it's not a three year home. It's going to be a, a ten or fifteen or, or twenty or thirty year home, right? Exactly. Yes. Well, any other any other uh, things that you guys are seeing that that you want to touch on or like to discuss today? I you know I think uh, <laughs> there's a lot of really good potential. I think where where design, um, architecture, home building, and and everything is going. I think the catalyst of kind of the COVID era, you know, going behind us and just people's awareness and appreciation for well-designed spaces is really going to take us where we need to go as a society, as a culture of saying, you know, where, where I reside, where I work, where I go out to eat and socialize, it matters and the quality matters and that experience matters. And so I think with people being aware and demanding that we'll see a, a rise in the the quality of, of design across the board. Understand the codes or the regulations of whatever area we're working in and then understand the potential that we have to kind of tie everything together, you know, and make it unique. That's the benefits of using the architect to kind of guide you throughout this whole process. I think people are, are, are more in tune. They're more turned on to, to good design now. 
going back to what I was saying a while ago, just about Instagram and Pinterest and the house and all that kind of stuff. They're turned on to it. They, they, they see it, they want it. And so that actually makes your job and my job more fun because we're not doing just the same old boring thing all the time. Right. Some, something interesting to, to, to create. We're, we're able to be, to be more creative. Right. Guys, thank you so much for, for coming out and joining me today. It's been, been great having you all. And we'll, we'll do it again. I, I'd like to do this, you know, once a year to kind of talk about where things are going and what, what changes we're seeing in the industry. So um, I'm so happy that you're able to be a part of my, my first iteration of this. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. much. Thanks Absolutely. a lot. And thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Your Project Shepherd podcast. We hope to see you again soon.